0: Welcome to Real Financial Planning, broadcast on WKXL, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Rickerson. I'm joined as always by Mike Morton, I'm the host of Bloody Color. <laughs> the, Morton, the Morton Podcast. I don't know what I'm calling my podcast these days, man. We'll settle on something soon. A little lesson about marketing. <laughs> I don't know much about marketing. But you have to know the name of what you're pushing. Look, Mike Morton is also in addition to being a podcaster, he's also a financial advisor and we talk about individual investing. So first of all, Mike, you were for our video viewers, you were giving me a hard time here before we got on the air about the fact that I have changed my Zoom wall a little bit. As- Holy smokes. Yeah,
1: for the listeners out there, I when Matt joined in, we we record and we can see each other. And as soon as he joined, I just started bursting out laughing because he used to have a beautiful background of his kids' artwork right behind him. And now he has a hundred percent a flag of the United States. He's replaced his kids artwork with a flag of the United States, and it was just kind of blowing my mind.
0: All right, let me I'll tell you <laughs> All why. All right, here we go. I will tell you why. <laughs> I interviewed on Friday the third ranking Democrat in the US House of Representatives, Jim Clyburn, on the Beyond Politics podcast. And I felt that if you're going to interview one of the top government officials in America, you probably need a slightly more formal <laughs> yeah. Zoom wall. Formal, or you. you just want to be like pro US? There, there are multiple <laughs> things going on here. One is, I thought I had to be a little bit more formal. Two, there's actually a connection here. In addition to being one of the top leaders in America, Jim Clyburn is also one of the top-ranking African-American constitutional officers in our country. And this flag that's behind me was actually given to me by former... U.S. Congressman Charlie Rangel. It flew over the Capitol. It's actually in memoriam to my father who worked with Charlie Rangel back in the 80s. And so, you know, it was kind of a personal connection for me, but also noting that connection to Jim Clyburn. And finally, look, nowadays, we all have kind of freedom and patriotism on the brain given the situation abroad, which by the way, is i think what we want to talk about today because there's so much uncertainty going on in the markets these days and i wanted to ask you about that a little bit what are you doing right now as a financial advisor and as an investor yourself given the amount of market turmoil going on
1: yeah yeah no it's a really good question but i do love the flag that used to be flying above the capitals is now flying above your head right behind you on the that's video right. screen so it's fantastic right. yeah <laughs> so I did want to talk to you about this, Matt. Investing in the world has suddenly uh, become very real, right? So in the last 5, 10, 20 years, your investments go up and down. That's what happens. Used to that. But we are very, in the U.S., we're very uh, invested in the U.S. market pretty heavily. And that's done really well as well. But a lot of people have investments overseas, whether it's the um, ex-U.S. world market, the developed countries, the emerging markets or even in individual countries. And now this has suddenly become very real because if you had investments in Russia, they are frozen and very likely, if they're in the public market anyway, very likely to have gone to zero. And so now it's brought into light for me and for investors all around the world, you know, be careful. You just know what you're invested in and be cognizant of what you're investing and where you're investing in the world. And so it's brought that to the forefront for me. So happy to have that conversation today.
0: One context, this always comes up in, I'm putting the preposition at the end of a sentence, like a barbarian. (coughs) One context that always raises this question is when you go to do your taxes at the end of the year, and you just happen to see in the statement that you get from wherever you keep your IRA or, or whatever, that you may be in mutual funds that have an international component. You actually may not be fully aware, as you just said, of where your retirement assets or even your like 529 assets are parked. And so is, does that suggest that there's some upfront homework that people can do, given the situation that it's now put it all firmly in our minds, like what should people be doing to investigate and maybe assert a little bit more control over where their money is sitting?
1: Yeah, it's a really good point. There's different areas of the world where you can invest in. We can invest in the U.S. market, the S&P 500, the total U.S. stock market. And that will be, obviously, in U.S. companies. And they'll track up and down with the, how those companies are doing. There's the XUS or uh, the rest of the world. And that typically makes up about 40 to 50% of total investable market. So if you have money there, it's going to be spread across many different countries Mm. according to how big the economy basically is in those countries. And so do you need to really dive into that? You should be aware of which countries are heavily weighted, whether it's Europe or you know Germany or the UK or Australia, where the money is sitting. And then there's also, there's developed countries. Those are the economies we think, oh, they're pretty far along. They're like the US, you travel abroad. And then there's what we call emerging markets. And these are those markets that just have a little bit different characteristics. There's no great like defining line, but many people will have investments in emerging markets and Russia, is an emerging market there's the big ones would be like china taiwan india and brazil okay but russia makes up about three percent maybe of those emerging markets funds and my clients have those i own one of these funds and so three percent of that fund you know has basically gone to zero in the last couple of weeks now that's not a huge portion that's still three percent of a small you know, overall portfolio but again it's really good to be aware of where You're investing because there are many different strategies. And like you said, you probably do own assets spread across the entire world.
0: Well, I hear two dimensions in what you're saying. One is you face some exposure to geopolitical events and wars and however international economies are exposed to the vagaries of of, uh, history. But there's also, to some degree, and I'm not just saying this because I literally have old glory poised above my head, there's also, to some degree, I think, a moral component to this for, for many U.S. investors, which is, if you ask the average person on the street, do you want to be investing in assets that could be supporting Russia? Right now, most people would say no. They, they don't want to have a part of that. So to some degree, it sounds like you want to be doing a checkup on these things because you may, for your own peace of mind, want to be asserting a little bit more control over where your money is landing and what it's supporting by proxy.
1: Yeah, just like there's been a big movement over the last couple of years in green investing, ESG, environmental, social governments, and SRI, socially responsible investing. That's been a big topic. I agree with you Matt that we should be looking around the world and where do you want to be putting your dollars in terms of investments? I just mentioned emerging markets as a group of countries that we would sometimes invest in and China tops the list there, a 30 to 40% mm. of the assets that might be in emerging markets. So you might really want to think about that based on whatever China is going to do next. Obviously, they've been in the news a lot as well. Um, And so you just might want to consider if you have emerging market funds, do you want that amount invested in China or some of these other countries? The other thing that it brings up for me, Matt, and I've talked about this on my podcast before, is what I call freedom investing. And this is investing in countries around the world that are more free. And that both means individual freedoms, but also economic freedoms, Mm. which is better for your investments. If you think about like countries that support starting your own business, owning your own business, getting the profits, trying to grow your business and getting profits from your business. Those are the kinds of places I'd like to invest my money to get a return versus places where you can start your own business, but maybe the government can come along and own part of that at their will. But that's not so good for me as an individual investor. So there's certainly a component to this freedom investing that I think is really important as well.
0: I'm not suggesting in any way by what I'm about to say that people shouldn't put in a little bit of work and effort to stand up for their values or just to protect their own investments. But boy, it is a complicated world out there of investing. And as we were just saying, It's awfully hard to know sometimes if you're in a mutual fund, if you have a financial advisor who's taking care of all of this for you. We just talked about that in our last couple of episodes that you might be in that situation. So the question is, is there a shortcut way to say, look, I want the diversification that comes with being in emerging markets. I want some of the added risk slash growth potential that comes with being in emerging markets but i want to draw a bright line where you are placing it around freedom investing where i don't want to be in certain kinds of economies i don't want to be investing in certain kinds of governments that may not be comporting with my sense of values in the world is there a shortcut kind of way for assuring that you're exposed to emerging markets but you're drawing those boundaries there isn't
1: Unfortunately, there's not a lot of products out there that you can just say, "Oh, good one-stop shopping. I can buy this product, this ETF or mutual fund and be good to go." That said, there is one that I know of that I like. I haven't done a lot of research on it, but it is called uh, Freedom FRDM and this Wait, that's really cool. hard.
0: FRDM. <laughs> that's right. Come on, folks. Just spell it the way you spell the word.
1: Ticker symbols you can only be you can only have so many letters in these things. Oh my god. So it's a ticker, FRDM is the ticker symbol started by Perth Toll. And she's gone around basically doing what we're saying. It's like, wow, I would like to invest in more free countries, but under this emerging markets umbrella, not the developed markets how we find those two different sets of countries and so that's what she's done is like looking at the countries that are more free and then investing in those and she's created an ETF around that so you can look up that ticker and that ETF if you're interested in in drawing that line but not doing you know a ton of research or set and forget you can put in 20,000 bucks into that into your emerging markets and feel maybe feel better about that now in terms of the developed markets there's nothing that I'm aware of, the listeners can send us an email, but there's nothing I'm aware of that really is an ETF or mutual fund around just the countries that are more free. Now you can indiv- you can purchase individual countries, OK, so you can purchase the like a UK, an ETF or a mutual fund just for the UK or just for Germany or just for Australia. And then you'll be invested into that market, just like you are here. If you t- purchase the total U.S. market, boom, like you own the total U.S. market and go up and down. And this is where I said knowing what you're invested in, because Russia has one of these two. There is a Russian ETF that you could be invested in. And if you were that trading got halted, and it's basically gone to zero. And so it's unlikely to get any money back out of those accounts or out of those investments. Um, And so it's now just, again, brought to the forefront being very careful knowing what you're invested in, uh, just being aware of that ahead of time.
0: Now, when you talk about buying countries, you're not saying it in the same sense that former President Trump was when he suggested that we might buy Greenland, which, by the way, can I endorse that idea right now? I think that's a great idea for Donald Trump to do. I would like to elect him president of Greenland. I would like him to move there. I'd like him to build a wall there to keep all the walruses out. Because you don't want that. And I'd like to suggest Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert to be the secretary of ice and a (laughs) seawater. (laughs) That's my political suggestion right here. But I I do want to ask a little bit. You you were just alluding to the ability to buy the whole U.S. market or an index that reflects the the U.S. market or the S&P 500. Is it possible to have a sufficiently diversified and the, the right risk profile type portfolio without any exposure to emerging markets that you might find troubling. Do you need to have some kind of international exposure? Is that the simplest thing to do is say, hey, just, again, I'm being influenced by old glory here, but like, just keep it in the US of A. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a really good point. And it's funny you mentioned that, Matt, because I was uh, talking with one of my clients earlier today on this exact topic, which was, how much international should we have? Should we have any at all? And remember, I I defined it as um, there's kind of US and then in the international realm, sometimes we split it between developed countries and emerging market countries, just to keep all those term, that terminology separate. You can have an entirely U.S.-based portfolio, and my advice would be, you'll be fun. I, I really don't have a problem with just being 100% U.S.-centric <clears throat> because it's 50 to 60% of the global market and the companies that are the biggest companies that you'd be investing in are also global companies. Apple sells iPhones everywhere in the world. And if you're investing in those kinds of companies, you're already getting a lot of exposure to consumers across the globe and what's happening with them. So I really wouldn't have a problem with it. It's not my default recommendation, however. I always go in with the default of being a little bit US-centric, but again, if it's 55, 60% US and 45, 40% the rest of the world, I might say 70% or seventy U.S. and 30% the rest of the world. And you can get that through very low-cost index funds. Total U.S. stock market, total X, total international market or total X-U.S. market, and then bonds and boom, set it and forget it. Now you will have exposure that in there will be a little bit of Russia, a little bit of China, some of these other countries. So just realize that. Now, from a return perspective for your portfolio, for retirement or in your brokerage account or whatever it is, you're gonna be fine as long as companies still make products that people want to buy as long as that's true. And you're investing low cost across the entire globe. You're going to be fine. I happen to believe that the U S market will also be fine. If that's the only place you invest in because they're global, it's the only country I would say that if you're a listener in Australia, I would not recommend putting 90% or more of your assets into just the Australian market. Every other market in the world is a lot smaller than the U S and therefore Um, They could bounce around a lot more.
0: I want to just say to our Australian listeners, this is I'm not joking. These podcasts, I I look at the data, they reach an, an astonishingly big international audience. I just want you to know that Mike Morton has actually lived and worked in Australia. He thinks very, very highly of Australia. He is not dissing Australia. Do not throw a boomerang at him because, first of all, he doesn't deserve it. And second of all, I've heard that those things come back. They come back. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) In all seriousness, obviously, we all hope and pray that we don't have this kind of world situation all the time and every year, where have a horrific war playing out somewhere, and so this is, I hope, an unusual set of circumstances. But when these kinds of things happen, what are sort of the checklist that people should do to see what their exposure is, to see are there things that they should do? How do they? How do you go about thinking about that?
1: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a perfect question, Matt. So I would look at your individual investments. If you have any concentrations, I would really review that. If you're invested in target date funds, which we've talked about, if you're invested in low-cost index funds um, that are massively diversified, I think you relatively say, oh, okay, I'm, I'm good to go, set it and forget it. I, I think you'll be fine. But anytime you have a concentration, and what I mean is <clears throat> if you have 5 to 10% or more of your overall portfolio, in one thing, that one thing could be a single country. That one thing could be um, a single company, okay, or a single sector. If you have that, I would just really evaluate it and make sure you know what could happen to that sector, to that company, or to that country or industry, and make sure that you're comfortable with however that could go, because it could go up or down significantly and quickly from out of nowhere. And that's what this is, you know,
0: showing us. And you're referring to all kinds of financial products, stocks, bonds, and other more exotic types of products that are out there. Yeah, that's
1: exactly right. Yeah, and even individual real estate investments. Hey, look, 30% of my portfolio is in this one apartment building, and it's been doing great for 10 or 20 years. Well, just make sure that you understand something could really go sideways with that, that single individual investment and just be prepared for that. So that's why all of my clients, I'm always looking at that and trying to diversify as much as possible, which means... You might get lower kind of returns because we're taking averages more but they're going to be more
0: steady over time there's always that trade-off and we did a great episode about that about understanding risk versus volatility and sometimes the best strategy isn't to go for the absolute maximum rate of return because remember no free lunch in the world and (laughs) you're going to take a little bit more exposure to the ups and downs of the world and the market all right On that note, I think we have to leave it there. Mike Morton, thanks for walking us through this and let's all salute the flag.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on Financial Planning for Entrepreneurs. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to and rate the podcast on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can connect with me at LinkedIn or MortonFinancialAdvice.com. I'd love to get your feedback. If you have a comment or question,